Well, as you know, today we begin a new series here at Journey Church called Detox. Somebody say Detox. detox. I'm excited about this series, and uh, I want to encourage you to plug in with us over the next four weeks as we really believe this series will be instrumental in your life. As you know, detox, by definition, is a process whereby we rid our bodies of, and, and I might add, our hearts and our minds and spirits to the mix, but detox is when we rid ourselves of toxic or unhealthy substances. And I just want to let you know, I, I believe if we all just got honest here this morning up in this house, that we would all admit that we could use some detox in our lives. All of us. Look at your neighbor and go, that means you. Amen. Maybe there are some unhealthy habits that you've allowed into your life. Maybe there's some toxic thoughts that you've allowed into your mind that have and are serving to poison your mindset this morning. You know, during this series, I want to challenge you over the four parts that we're going to dig into this series with to simply allow the Holy Spirit to lead your life and make some important changes because I believe this series will, again, serve to be a mechanism for change in your life so that your life can experience, your mind, your heart, your spirit can experience some detox. You know, if, if you ever have the opportunity to stand before a parole board, and I pray you don't, more than likely half of this church, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, if you ever have the opportunity to stand before a parole board, again, I, I hope you don't, but if you do, the predisposition of the judge may have less bearing on your success than the scheduled time of that hearing. Now, I want to say this with all due respect to judges and the judges in our community, and really for any judge for that matter, because we have a great relationship with judges through the reputation of our church and the reputation of the Dream Center. But a few years ago, the National Academy of Sciences uh, put out a, a study a few years ago involving 1,112 judicial rulings over a 10-month period of time. And that study found that 65% of parole judges granted freedom to the first prisoner who appeared before the court. Didn't matter what, they, what, what crime they had committed, 65% were granted freedom. And by the end of that morning session, the chance of parole dropped to near zero. Now, when those same judges returned from their lunch break, the first prisoner up for parole once again had a 65% chance of being granted their freedom. And as you might guess, the odds steadily declined as the afternoon wore on. The question when you hear something like that obviously becomes, why is that? The authors of this study cite something called decision fatigue. Decision-making, they say, is a mental exercise like physical exercise. And like physical exercise, we fatigue. We fatigue up here over time. 
Meaning, it's harder to make good decisions after you've made lots of decisions. And included in decision fatigue, these study authors say we also lose a lot of willpower. Now, parents, I believe you know what I'm talking about. Because if you want to limit how much time your kids have on those phones and tablets, right, which I know you do, because Missy and I do as well, I, I, I also know that by the end of the day, we find ourselves practically begging them to take those phones. Here, take mine too. Do whatever you got to do. There's plenty of battery life for you just to stay out of my face for a little bit. Right? Just to stop the insanity. Why? Because decision fatigue sets in. Let me give you an interesting biblical example, specifically with the circumstance that surround the arrest of Jesus, which is shown in Luke chapter 22. You see, after Jesus is arrested, in verse 44, the disciples, of course, decide to scatter and run off and abandon Jesus altogether. Peter even decides to deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. How many know? Deciding to scatter and abandon Jesus, and not only that, but deny the fact that you ever knew Jesus three different times, bad decisions. And you see that in verse 54 on. Bad decisions. But what happened, it's important to look at what happened before those bad decisions took place. Because in verse 39, we see that Jesus was praying with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. However, if you study the timeline, they're praying very late at night. And if you study the timeline, that day was packed. There was a lot of stuff. The Last Supper, all the emotions inside of it, all the mental decisions that these guys are making beforehand, and now they're being asked to pray with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So late that night while he's praying, and by the way, this is an intense time of prayer that Jesus is going through. Because it also says in that verse that Jesus is such, at such a stress point that, that he's sweating drops of blood from his pores. It also says that he's, such, that, that he's in such an intense point of stress that an angel from heaven directly comes to what the Bible calls administer strength and encouragement to him. And so this is an intense time, again, happening very late at night. And verse 45 says, when Jesus rose from that intense time of prayer and went back to the disciples who were supposed to be praying, it says this, that Jesus found them asleep. And this happens not once, but twice. How many know if Jesus corrects you once and says, stay away, okay, but then you go back asleep again? Wow. Now you're going to find this shocking, but I believe the fact that on why they were sleeping really comes down to, I'm going to go deep here, they were tired. I believe they were fatigued. And could it be that part of what contributed to the poor decision-making on behalf of the disciples in verse 54 on was due to good old-fashioned fatigue. Hear me. Judges aren't exempt. The disciples aren't exempt. And neither are you. One of the authors of this study, Jonathan Levy of Columbia University, even said this fact I, I, when it comes to decision fatigue. I don't think that this is just unique to judges. I think you find the same thing with doctors and with admissions officers in college, even with bankers and funding decisions. Here's the point. Decision fatigue is real, and the ramifications are pretty profound 
when it comes to our everyday lives. Check this out. According to one estimate, you make on average every day about 35,000 decisions. Every day. I mean, that's a lot of decisions. And when you hear something like that, the question, of course, becomes, okay, well, how, how do I make sure that all those are good decisions? I want to make good ones. I don't want to make a bunch. I mean, that's a lot of decisions. I want to make good ones. And, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because I believe that true detox, that detoxification of, of the negative things to get out of our life begins with good decisions. And even more so, I believe that it begins with something called pre-decisions. What I mean by this is pre-decisions are the decisions that you make before the decision. It's the set of standards and values that you create that ends up becoming the path that the rest of your decisions will travel in, that ends up becoming the lane that the rest of your decisions will drive in on your day. Let me give you an example, and this example might seem a little frivolous, but we all know the late Steve Jobs over Apple only wore one outfit, Right? Black shirt, blue jeans, New Balance shoes. That's it. Every single day. They even brought a camera crew in his closet. Just a bunch of black shirts and blue jeans and New Balance shoes. And they asked him why that was. And according to him, he says, the reason I do that is it's one less decision I have to make because I want the bandwidth in my life for more important decisions. I don't want decision fatigue in my life. I wonder how many of us right now are already at decision fatigue. Or by the time you get dressed in the morning, because we're just trying to figure out what to wear. Come on. I've seen people, particularly some ladies, stress out and grow mentally tired trying to simply find an outfit to wear. <laughs> right? It happens to all of us. Her in her closet is the same thing as me with an open fridge. You just get tired trying to make a decision, right? <laughs> let, me, let me just say this. I believe that you are one pre-decision away from a totally different life. I hope you heard that because that's good news right there. It's incredible news. You're one pre-decision away from a blessed life. Let me give you a few biblical examples. Joseph, in, in the book of Genesis, made a pre-decision. Now, after he was sold into slavery, he went to work for a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife straight up tried to seduce Joseph. The Bible says day in and day out. Now, if Joseph had to make a decision every single time that Potiphar's wife flirted with him, my hunch is there probably would have been some decision fatigue and that beautiful story might have gone the other way. But Joseph had to make a pre-decision. Joseph had made a pre-decision before all that happened that he would not nor would he ever sleep with a woman who was not his wife, period. That was the standard, the pre-decision he created that served to guide all the other decisions that he would make. Let me just say this. If you're waiting to make a decision until you're in a tempting situation, good luck with that. Right? It doesn't work out so well. You have got to make a pre-decision. Now, that pre-decision landed Joseph in prison. But he interprets a dream there. And he ends up being promoted by Pharaoh. 
and oh yeah, saves two nations from famine. All that started, if you track it back, started with a really good pre-decision. Look at Ruth in the Old Testament. She made a pre-decision. She said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And if she had not made that pre-decision, if she had not set her life in the lane of that standard, she would not have met what the Bible calls her kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And then Ruth and Boaz get married, and then they brown chicken, brown cow, and then <laughs> out comes Obed. Obed, right? And Obed ends up having a son named Jesse. And Jesse ends up having a son named David. Could I submit to you the trace of that kingly lineage is in due part to a really good predecision that a woman made generations earlier. To a really good decided set of values that ended up guiding all the other decisions of her life. Then there's Daniel. He makes a predecision not to defile himself with non-kosher food. Now, that seems like a small issue. Like, why run the risk of offending the king of Babylon, which it did, over non-kosher food? But it's a bigger deal than you think. It's an integrity issue for Daniel. But it was that predecision that set Daniel apart and eventually set him up to be, that took him from the lion's den to one day becoming the second in command to the king of Babylon. Thank you, predecision. Then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who made a predecision that they will not nor ever bow down to an idol, even though every single one around them was. And the list goes on and on and on. What am I getting at, Journey Church? Destiny is not a mystery. Destiny is a decision. You have got to understand that we are not just to be subservient in life and some people find their destiny and some people don't as if you don't have any control. You've got way more control than you could possibly think. Destiny is a decision and many times it's up to you. About 35,000 decisions every single day. But I think it's these pre-decisions that determine our destiny. It's these pre-decisions that determine our legacy. Gentlemen, what a pre-decision you have made that will create a beautiful legacy in front of your lives. And hear me, because I want to bring it down to earth right now and push the envelope a little bit with you this morning with a scripture that I believe goes hand in hand with this message. And it's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. It says this. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> Some of you are looking at me right now like, uh, okay, how's that go hand in hand with this message? What does that even mean? You see, a boundary stone was the way ancients established borders. They served as milestones. Boundary stones are what identified property lines and where they would begin and where they would end. And so let me just paint a picture here so you better understand it. And then we're going to get like super painfully practical, okay? Is that cool? In 1791, Congress passed what they called the Resonance Act that gave 
George Washington, President George Washington, the authority to establish the boundary lines of our nation's capital. And a boundary stone, I think we've got a picture of a boundary stone there, a boundary stone was placed at a place called Jones Point on April 15th, 1791. Now this is one of them, this isn't the first one, but a boundary stone was placed at a place called Jones Point, April 15th, 1791. And over a two-year process, they placed 40 other boundary stones all the way around what would become and be known as Washington, D.C. And if you can even go to a map here, you can see where each of those boundary stones are created. And each of these stones, if you go back to the first picture, have an inscription on the side that faces the capital city. And on that inscription, it says, Jurisdiction of the United States. And on the opposite side, the side facing away from the capital city, it says jurisdiction, depending on where you're at, Maryland or, or, or Virginia. Now, four of these original 40 stones have gone missing, but 36 of them still exist. And for those of you that like to nerd out on history like I do, these are the oldest federally placed monuments in the United States of America. For they determine what is and what is not Washington, D.C. Now hear me. Let me get back to that scripture that we just read, Proverbs chapter 22. Don't move an ancient boundary stone. In the same way, those surveyors back in the 1700s placed boundary stones to establish the boundaries of a city. In the same way, even back in the ancient times of old in the Bible where, the, where, where, where they put boundary stones to establish the boundaries of a city, you in the same way have got to establish boundaries in your life and predecisions every predecision you make is a boundary stone it's the route that your decisions will travel and it's the standard of your life it's the values of your life that you create define and keep in your life here's an example if you are in an abusive relationship how do I want to say this you've got to reestablish some boundaries in your life, in that relationship. Now, especially if it's a marriage, that's tricky. It gets really tricky. Because in a marriage, obviously the goal is reconciliation. But you, if, 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 if it's in a marriage, you might need some separation for a season, however long that needs to be, to reestablish some physical boundaries, some emotional boundaries that are healthy and holy. Because if you don't, called codependence and codependency is when you let somebody trespass on you emotionally and when you let somebody trespass on you physically but here's what I know for sure if that's you you've got to survey the problem and reestablish the boundary in your life you see when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai what was he doing he was placing boundary stones around the human behavior Come on, how many know where I'm going right now? Number one, do not have any other gods before me. Honor your father and your mother. Keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Come on now. And, and I, I believe on, on the inside of, of those, you can almost see the inscription, jurisdiction of God's kingdom. And on the other side, sin. You see, those Ten Commandments 
surveyed the boundary between what is right and what is wrong. They drew the line between what is holy and what is not. And I think it's interesting that even those who don't prescribe to Christianity or Judaism have universally accepted most of those Ten Commandments to be accepted boundary stones for human behavior. Let me add a little footnote here. Because I think we're experiencing something in the church today called relativism. That I believe is moving the boundary stones further and further apart. And what happens there is you get them so far apart you eventually can't even see what's right or wrong anymore. We can sit in the church and not even understand the gospel. I don't even know what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what's not. I think we start moving things so far apart. And I think the opposite is even just as bad called legalism. Where we move the boundary stones closer than they were intended to be. I'll give you an example. In those Ten Commandments, God had one rule on the Sabbath. Keep it. Make it holy. Do you know the Pharisees went in and added 39 rules and regulations to that one commandment as it related to the Sabbath? (laughs) We're talking like crazy rules. Like one of the rules was, You can only walk 2,000 cubits and not a step more on the Sabbath. So people were counting their steps, not for calories, but so that they don't burn. Right? You you cannot untie a knot or tie a knot on the Sabbath. Can you tie this? Not today. (laughs) Right? You are not to, this is literal rules. You are not to strike the final blow of a hammer. But I guess you could do the first, do the 30, but that last one, nope. Right? You, I mean, it's crazy rules. <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm, right? Because I'm just like, what? I don't even understand that. I think what was happening was they were bringing the boundaries in. And what does Jesus have to say about it? Because he dialogues with it about the Pharisees. He's like, come on, y'all. Y'all are moving these ancient boundary stones. You're turning this into a form of legalism. He said the Sabbath wasn't made for all those little rules so you could focus on that. The Sabbath was made for you so you could find rest, so that you could find me. And so we implement too many rules and regulations, meaning we, we end up losing sight of what it was even all about. We go beyond the original intent of what God did, and we start putting trespassing signs where God never did. And of course, the opposite is true as well, like I said, with relativism. But let me add a little caveat here, because Jesus actually moved some of the boundary stone in his sermon on the mount. He said, you know, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. What's happening here? What is Jesus doing? He was surveying the kingdom of God and he was creating a new boundary around what righteousness looks like. And he was putting those boundary stones in place and as the Lord, he reserves the right to do that. And he said, do not move these. He was saying, this is us now. He said, this is who we are now, all right? And this is who we are not. This is what we do and this is what we don't do. We're the people who are going to love our enemies. We're the people that are going to pray for those who persecute us. We're the people that are going to turn the other cheek. We're the people that are going to go the extra mile. We're the people that are going to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Journey Church, are you picking this up? Come on. Somebody say a good amen right there. I want to take us through a, a little exercise. Because I want us to think of this message categorically. 
I want us to think of this message in categories. Otherwise, a message like this starts to get really overwhelming because you're like, uh, where should I start? What boundary stone should I put? You know, so I don't want to stress on that. So let me just give you four categories that would be great areas for you to apply this talk to. Physical, financial, spiritual, and we'll just call the fourth time. Physical, financial, spiritual, and time. You can jot those down and maybe jot down a few ideas as the Holy Spirit leads you to around those ideas. But what I want to do is just share some of the boundary stones inside of these four categories that Missy and I have put into place or that I've put into place in my life. So why don't we start with physical? And I'll keep it pretty simple because physical can mean many different things. So let me use it today in the context of diet and exercise. Now, I believe everybody's looking at me. Many of you are going, why, Pastor, are you going diet and exercise on us right now? I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the Bible says that your body, Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures say, who is in you, whom you've received from God, therefore honor God with your body. And so how we take care of our physical bodies is a stewardship issue. It's a boundary issue. And, and in my experience, to be a true steward, you have got to make some pre-decisions along the way. Now, it would seem to me like diet is a pre-decision as it relates to food. <laughs> Man, this is scary for me to preach. But I need to do it because i got to be accountable. Because how do I want to say it? I've got a bit of a weight problem, all right? I, I've got a bit of a food problem. I've got a bit of a sugar problem. Sugar. Mm. Mufasa, all right? Just shakes me. Ooh. Like, the evidence of my sugar problem, and I used to not be. I, I was never really into sugar that much, but uh, my wife got me hooked. And so, uh, <laughs> but the evidence of my sugar problem was discovered a couple of weeks ago when Missy came to me with the bank statement and says, why is Journey Church charging us every single day? There are some days it's like 3 to $5 a day. Like, and she's like, I don't have a problem with it. It's generous in heart. We'll give the church whatever they need. But why are they taking this much money every day? And I was like, ah, I have to come clean. You know, I was like, dang it. And I was like, well, uh, what, what had happened was, um, <laughs> well, you see, we, we, we built a new cafe. It's wonderful. And they sell candy bars there now. And I buy I don't know, three, five candy bars a day now, I, you know. And she's like, oh. And, you know, I start trying to justify it. You know, like, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing right by this. Like, I am equipping financially lost and hurting people through the missions of our church, which this cafe exists to help. I mean, I'm building beyond. I'm, I'm serving God's kingdom. And I was like, if you're even going to look at me like you've got a problem with that, I'll pay whatever price just to be able to help those people and do whatever it needs to be able to help them live a life and have water to drink and clothes to wear. I'll pay that price. 
And she goes, oh, you're paying that price. And she looks at my stomach. Yeah, you're really, you're really paying that price. And I don't know about you, but I discovered that when I consume too much sugar, not only do I blow up like a balloon, but I, I, I experience other challenges. Like, it gets very hard to concentrate. And I don't know about, I don't know if you know this or not, but I spend about 20 to 25 hours a week studying for our talks. In light of all the other responsibilities, about 20, 25 hours a week studying for these talks. And that requires a lot of concentration. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know, because it has ramifications on the systems in the human body and, and, and so uh, other ones. But what I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, and I'm still working out the details here on it, so stick with me, but uh, it, it means, Jesse, you need to get back in the boundaries of what is right physically for your life. Because if I don't do something soon, I know consequences are coming. Because I'm telling you, I'm like a crack addict at home when it comes to sugar. And don't look at me holy, because I know s there are others here. And you're hiding behind your little laughter right now. You're, you're here. To where, if there ain't no sugar in the pantry, and you have kids, you go in their room and you look for stuff. Thank you. Three of us. Amen. I, I will, other of you are liars. Amen. I, when Javen was in Jamaica, I was like, sweet, eight days. I'm going to just go through this dude's room. I'm going through his drawers because there was nothing in the fridge, nothing in the pantry as far as sugar. I'm just rooting through my son's underwear drawer even. Like, did you hide anything in there? I find some cookies in his closet. And I'm like, sweet. And I start eating cookies in his closet. But they were so stale because the thing was open. I'm like, oh, oh. You just keep eating, you know what I'm saying? And then I found Hershey Kisses. And then I went and I unwrapped the Hershey Kiss. And as soon as I bit into it, it exploded into powder. And then I got mad at Javen. I called Javen while he's on a missions trip in Jamaica. Like, why are there Hershey Kisses exploding like pow powder? And Javen's like, Dad, those are from Halloween like five years ago. Where did you even find those? And he's laughing. <laughs> Sucker. You know, it's just... Here's a great question to ask yourself. I, is there a change? Is there a pre-decision that you need to make in your diet that will help you follow Christ more effectively? Now, along with diet, I think exercise is critical. And for what it's worth, I think when I'm reestablishing an exercise routine, and I've done that before, so let me say it, when I'm, when I'm re-reestablishing an exercise routine, I need two things. I need a plan and I need a goal. It's pretty simple. I need a plan and I need a goal. When we started Journey Church in 2009, I was coming off the heels of a season of many years in ministry of just no physical discipline in my life whatsoever. I, I had weighed more than I've ever weighed in my life and I realized I need to do something about it. And so I decided, this is in March of 2009, that I was going to sign up for the O'Fallon 5K, which is a 5K run that the city of O'Fallon hosts every year. They call it the Harvest. It's this incredible thing. Hundreds and hundreds of people are a part of it. And, and I had felt like the Lord wanted me to be part of it. And I had even felt in my spirit that God not only wanted me to run it, but that he wanted me to run it in under 25 minutes. And so I was like, wow, and I really felt the Lord 
was putting that goal inside of my heart. And I'm seven months out from that event, so I'm like, all right, I live out in a state park in Troy, and so I decide, you know what, I'm going to run my first practice 3.1 miles, and I, I did, and, and I ran it in 41 and a half minutes. And when I finished that, my side was like third grade hurting, you know what I'm saying? Where you're, and I'm nauseous, and I'm dizzy. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, there is absolutely no way I'm going to do this in under 25 minutes. I don't even know how that's possible. But you know what? That was a goal. But to get to that goal, I had to create a plan. And so I created a plan. A plan is a pre-decision. And my pre-decision was I'm going to run X amount of times every week and work to shave that time off. And I ended up running in that seven-month period over 75 Ks before that run. And every single time, I kept shaving a little more time off to the point where I'm a week out from that event, five days to be exact, and I run that race in the state park in my practice run. I run it in right over 29 minutes, which was great, but it was still discouraging because I'm five days out from the event, and I don't know how I can shave four minutes off of my time. But when it came to race day, I was so determined that I was going to run harder than I ever have in my life, no matter the cost, I was going to do it. And when the gun went off and I started running that race, I found myself over time, over probably five or ten minutes, I realized this is a lot easier than what it is that I've been practicing on. Because I'm out in the state park and I'm running some intense hills in my 5K, and this O'Fallon run really isn't experiencing many hills. So there, there are some inclines and there's, there are very few declines. However, what I'm running, I'm able to accomplish a lot more speed. I'm able to keep my lung capacity better. And I thought, you know what? This is possible. I might do this. And I'm running as hard as I can. And I crossed the finish line. I kid you not, the time was 24 minutes and 58 seconds. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I was able to accomplish that goal. And then, while I'm sitting there about to throw up because I'm just breathing, they said, Jesse, they just called your name, and we got the picture that I placed second place, and they ended up pulling me out into a little podium thing area or something like that, and they said, you play second place in what is called the Clydesdale Division, <laughs> which by the very nature of that name is offensive. And I said, what is the Clydesdale division? And they said, Clydesdale division is anybody who weighs more than 200 pounds. And I said, but I haven't told you how much I weigh, so how dare you assume that this physique is over the 200 mark? There are healthy people that are over 200 pounds. Have you ever seen The Rock? You know. <laughs> Hear me. Without a plan, I'm not achieving that goal. Is there a plan that you need to put in place? And listen, if you have more difficulty disciplining yourself than others, then you might need a trainer or an accountability partner. But nonetheless, create a plan and watch what the Lord can do with your abilities and what he can accomplish through you. Because Proverbs 16.3 says that God, he establishes their plans. If you don't give them a plan, how can you establish your goals? Plans are so important. Come on, a failure to plan is planning to. Let's head over to finances. Are you still good? Again, don't get overwhelmed because I'm not talking about changing everything in your life right away in all of these categories. I'm talking just take one or two things. 
inside of one of these categories and begin the journey. Because the journey to life change is just that. It's a journey. It's a process. Well, let's talk finances now. Because if diet is a way that we put boundary stones around food, then I believe budget is the way that we put boundary stones around finance, around money. If you don't have a budget, how do I want to say this? Your money's going to disappear. How many know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that? You're going to end up spending it on things that you wish you hadn't. Why? Because you don't have any boundaries in place. Now, for the sake of time, I'll just say this. One of the best pre-decisions Missy and I have ever made has been the pre-decision of budget. And inside that budget, there are other pre-decisions that you need to make. And I believe one of the best pre-decisions we've ever made in our budget is the pre-decision to never not tithe. And we've been married since 1996. And we decided in 1996, at the starting block of our marriage, that we would never not tithe. In other words, we made a decision that no matter how much or how little that we had, no matter what our savings looked like, no matter what our debt was like, we were going to give God the first 10% of our income as a point of scriptural obedience. And I believe it's that pre-decision that really, and my wife can say the same, that has made such a difference inside of our lives and has brought great joy to our lives sincerely because to see God meet you at a point of your financial commitment is an amazing thing. Now, the casual observer, it would seem that shrinking your budget by 10% would shrink your boundaries. And, you know, shrinking your financial boundaries by 10%, right? Like, how's that going to work? But hear me, can I tell you, I, I, I have come to find that God can do more with my 90% with Him than He could with my 100% without Him. I, and we taught that in the blessed life. I'm telling you. I encourage you to make that a culture in your life, the culture of generosity in your budget, and become a tither. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Is there a pre-decision you need to make financially in your life? This is a conversation I try and have with my kids so they can set themselves up for a financial future. Because how many know the world out there gets real financially? <laughs> Boundary stones financially are so, so key. Listen, what are the boundary stones and predecisions you need to make? It might be given that tithe. It might be given above and beyond that tithe. It might be eliminating debt. And if that's your predecision, I'm going to eliminate debt, might I encourage you to be part of the Financial Peace University that gives you the practical ways to do that. It could be saving a down payment for the purchase of a home. The only way those things are going to happen, though, is if you make predecisions. Number three. Let me talk spiritual boundary stones, which is a key to spiritual growth. Are there some spiritual boundary stones? Are there some spiritual disciplines that need to be put in place in your life? And this could range from fasting to meditation. I, I, just want to, I consider a prayer journal to be a spiritual boundary stone, to be a spiritual discipline in your life. But I think for the sake of time, let me just touch on this. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, like... Uh, 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 when you get up in the morning, if, if, if it is not your predecision and plan to go straight to God's Word, then let me ask you when you get up in the morning, then what's the first thing you turn to? Right? Because in my experience, if I don't have a plan, 
I may last a few days flipping here and there, but man, I need accountability. I need a plan to get me there. And so what I, what I love about the Bible today and how it's being distributed in the technology context is on, on, the, on your phones, you can download, as you've heard us talk about it several times here at Journey Church, version. Just type in version in your phone, in your app store, or your Google Play store, and just download a Bible app. And what I love about that app is it's an amazing tool that provides you that accountability. It's something that I encourage everyone to do if you can because it allows you to be intentional in your reading. Because I think it's important to not just read. You know, I'm not into just, mm, not into that. Like, be intentional in what it is that you're trying to get from the word of the Lord. You know, if you're wanting to grow your life spiritually, per se, in the category of wisdom, or you want to be a better worshiper, then create a plan. That's what I love. You, you can do that. You can create a plan for you to grow in wisdom and to be a better worshiper. You can create a plan that will take you now to the end of the year in Proverbs and the Psalms, which deal with wisdom and teaching you how to live a life of worship. Come on, how many know the Bible just wasn't meant to be read? It was meant to be meditated on and lived out. It says that in the beginning of the Psalms. The second verse of the first chapter, it says, My delight is in the word of the Lord. And on your word, on your law, which is the law, the boundary stone around my life, I meditate on it day and night. That word meditate in the Hebrew is the word hagah, which means to ponder on. Meaning, after you read it, don't just drop it and go do the next thing that you were meant to do. After you read it, take time to think on it. To ponder on what it is that you just read. I think we should be taking as much time, if not more time, thinking on what we read than what it is that we just read. Come on, how many know the Bible just isn't a drop it and done with it book? It's a, I want this to be the mindset of my life book. And in order to make it the mindset of my life, I have to think on it and keep it in my mind. Your spiritual predecisions are what God is going to use to give you your spiritual successes. All right. Physical, financial, spiritual. Let's talk about the last one. Time. I don't want to say this. I, I think calendar is a way to put boundary stones around time. Hear me today, Journey Church, because I, I believe everybody is going to understand exactly what I'm saying right here. If you don't control your calendar... Your calendar will control you. And this is a huge area of our life that I believe demands a predecision. Because how many know there's a lot of demand out there in the life in life, in this world? My wife and I experienced this when we were youth pastors in Arizona. We experienced it today, but we've done something about it now. But we really found ourselves becoming subservient to the demands of life when we were youth pastors. We had a heavy growing youth ministry. And we found and we're very personal. I enjoy the pastor part of of, of ministry more than I enjoy the preaching part of ministry. And don't get me wrong, I like to preach, but I love to pastor. I find myself just as uh, happy, if not more happy, to be across from a, a coffee table in a living room than I am even just on a platform behind a pulpit. Like, I love the pastor, so we're very personal. And so we had students over at the house. There are times where we have 30, sometimes 50, one time 70 students in our house every single night. 
and those were platforms where we would meet new students, and we would get to talk to those new students, pray with those new students, and we just found ourselves just subservient to this demand that sat around ministry, and it was great as we were getting ready, as we were finding new people and finding new opportunities, but over the time of that demand, we were losing our connection with each other. I was losing my connection with my wife. I was losing my connection with my kids. I couldn't even have told you. It was such a demand for months and months. I was like, I don't know the last time we ever went out on a date or we ever just went out as a family and did anything because we're just subservient to the demands of ministry in that moment of just having students in our house all the time. And so we decided we had to do something about it, and so we made a pre-decision that Mondays and Thursdays are days for just us, nobody else. Nobody's coming over. Doesn't matter the situation. We've got teams that can even handle other emergencies. But this is a time for us to find each other so that I can find my bride again and we can become a family. We do family nights and we started growing together as a family and I'm so grateful we did. Now, was it easy to say no to those students? Was it easy to say no to some of those opportunities? Absolutely not. But I will tell you, I think it was Andy, St Andy Stanley who said saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. And you and I both know that when you start saying yes to this and that and the other thing, to the demands of life, a good question is, then what are you saying no to? Because to me, I was saying yes and yes and yes to students, but every time I was saying no to my family. And how many know when you're saying yes and yes and yes to everything and you're saying no to something else, a lot of times that something you're saying no to is far more important than the thing you're saying yes to. And so is it possible that you need to change or put some boundaries in place on your calendar? If you say you're too busy to pray, schedule it. If you're going to schedule a meeting with somebody else on your phone, don't you think the Lord is the most important person you should schedule a meeting with? Put it on your phone. I'm going to schedule a meeting with the Lord. You and I are going to sit down and talk every day at this time. Hold yourself to that. Schedule your times with the Bible. Schedule your success. I've said that here before at Journey Church. Schedule it. Now, this is scary for me to say, and I'll tell you why. Because before you quit leading a small group, before you quit serving in ministry here at Journey, before you call Pastor Danny and tell him, Pastor Jesse said I need to free up more of my time, and he told me to quit serving in kids' ministry. Could I just submit to you and suggest that one way we seek first God's kingdom is by serving others? And if I may be bold enough to say as well that perhaps it's some of the other boundary stones that you need to move. Because I think it's funny, the busier we get, the first thing that gets on the chopping block is our commitment to the Lord and the church. Y'all still love the pasty, bold, white preacher. <laughs> I'm saying this for your good. I'm saying this for your success. Don't put the Lord on the chopping block first. Perhaps you need to move other things so that you can have margin to be an impact in the lives of other people through the gifts God has given you. So that you have time to go on that missions trip next year. So that you have time to go to Forge. So that you've got time to go to Refuge. So that you have time to volunteer and experience the joy of a kid's ministry. Amen? Let me close here. Now, 
I don't know where you're at this weekend. I don't know where you're at today in your life. But I have a hunch there's a boundary stone that you need to put in place or put back into place because you've moved it. It might be physical. It might be financial. It might be spiritual. It might be time. Again, don't try and make 12 changes this morning, okay? Is there one or two things as you press in and say, God, what boundaries do I need to put in place right now that would honor you, that would usher your kingdom into my life, that would take my life to the next level and bring me closer to you spiritually? That's a powerful prayer to prayer or, or prayer to pray. And in that prayer, I pray that God would guide you and direct you and reveal that to you. And I encourage you to make a decision before you go to sleep tonight. I encourage you to make a pre-decision or two before you go to bed tonight, before you walk into your Monday. And don't delay it. Don't put it off because it'll set up success in the 35,000 decisions you're going to make tomorrow. One last thought. There's a God who loves you so much that he sent his son. And by the way, that was a pre-decision. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. God loves you that much. And I think we got to do something with that love. we got to do something with that truth. And I think the most important decision that we can make is the decision to put our full faith in him in a God who is willing to die for us, in a God who has these plans and purposes for your life. And I just got to say this, I don't think, no matter the boundary stone he tells you to move, I don't think you're going to be able to move that boundary stone without the help of the Holy Spirit. You're just not going to do it. So don't try and do it on your own. So get with him before you go to bed tonight and just say, Lord, show me. And I'm going to make that pre-decision in my life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us. I pray that no one in this place right now would just feel any sense of, of guilt or condemnation here. Romans 8.1 says that we are not under condemnation if we're in Christ. But I also pray that where the Holy Spirit may be convicting right now, that we would be responsive to it. Because we know, God, that you always have what's best for us at heart. And so, Lord, we put our full faith in you. And God, we put our full trust in you. And we ask for your help as we walk through this life that you've given us to live. So God, help. Come on, would you just tell him that in your own way? God, help. Help me put these boundary stones in place for your glory and for my good. Some of you right now, he's showing you. I want you to make a decision too. Just take this experience right now that, that you're having with him as a seed version of a much bigger experience he wants to have with you this afternoon or this evening. God, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to make some changes that will perform a beautiful detoxification to get the toxins and the negative things out of my life to install what needs to be put in my life so that I can get to you with this life you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.
How many are glad you came to church today? Amen. I know I am. 